Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. I got to thinking. It had to be one of the hardest requests ever made to man. See, just a moment ago in our story, God called out to Abraham. And he asked him to do something unthinkable. God had asked him to take his son Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah. And he's asked him to sacrifice him. His young son Isaac was Abraham's promised child. He was the son who was going to get the inheritance that was promised. You see, Abraham loved him more than anything, anything at all. And I couldn't even imagine the thoughts and the feelings that were running through Abraham's head when God made such a request onto him. But we find, at least I haven't been able to, find anywhere in Scripture where Abraham rejects the request. To Abraham, the God of the universe had spoken. And even though the request seemed unfair and unjust, because it did to me, he knew that God has always provided so far. And so the next morning, Abraham, Isaac, and a few servants, they start to make their way to Mount Moriah. Abraham decides not to tell Isaac the purpose of the trip. It's a journey that will take three days. Now, when they arrived, Abraham told the servants to stay back as he took his son alone on the top of the mountain. Now, by this time, little Isaac was getting a little smart here. He started to put the pieces together. He started to realize something was off just a tad. He says, Father, yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for offering? My son. God will provide. And after Abraham had finished building the altar. After he had finished putting the wood and laying it down for sacrifice, he did the hardest thing he's ever had to do. He went and he grabbed his beloved son Isaac. He grabbed him. And I can't even imagine the confusion and the fear on Isaac's face at this point in time. Witnessing what his dad, my dad would never do these things. he's He's always provided and protected me. And here he is grabbing and he puts him on the altar. And we see in scripture that he takes his feet and he wraps and bounds his feet with rope and his hands with rope down onto the top of this altar. 
almost as if it was preparing a lamb. And we have no indication in Scripture anywhere that Isaac fought back. It was like he was honoring the will of his father. And with one final look to his son, Abraham reaches for his knife. And he holds it above his head. And I can imagine, because it would be me, that I would close my eyes. And as he begins the downward motion toward his son, sacrificing and completing what God is requesting, as the knife is heading toward Isaac, a loud voice from heaven cries out, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Oh, thank God. Oh, my boy. My boy. He's alive. He's ready. He's, he's, he, oh, thank God. And the voice tells Abraham, now I know that you fear the Lord because you were willing to sacrifice your one and only begotten son. And then to their side, right there on Mount Moriah, just right next to them, they heard the sound of a ram that was stuck in the brushwood. His horns were stuck in there and he couldn't get out. And they looked and Abraham knew God had provided. The blood of the ram was used as a substitute in Isaac's place that night. It was a practice that will continue for almost the next 80 generations from that moment. Now I'm sure, as I would have, Abraham ended that day with Isaac tightly in his arms, not wanting to let him go, having now endured perhaps the hardest test that any follower of God will ever have to face. And because of this, because of this moment, God will always remember Abraham. Abraham's faithfulness that night will give birth to an entire nation. And through Abraham, an unbreakable covenant was made between God and man that day. And as Abraham and Isaac begin their travel back home, probably couldn't leave that place quick enough. And as they were traveling home, and Mount Moriah is now in their rearview mirror, God will remember his covenant 2,000 years later, when at that exact same spot, the bloodline of Abraham will be once again asked to make a sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we just pray now. Not, not so that we all gather and pray for just for the service and the things that we have done, but God, we pray right now for what you're going to do, for your word. Lord, I have a few specific requests today. Father, I pray that the words I say only be your truth. Lord, help me not stumble upon them. Lord, prevent my flesh, Lord, from, from, from not making this interesting. God, I just pray now that each of us 
Reflect and remember the story that was so powerful and told again and again. But today, Lord, let it fall afresh on us. Lord, I pray in this moment that we, your people, a joyful people, let our iron be sharpened so that we can go into the world. Let this story be our story, Lord. And this is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 That was a beautiful amen. Yes. Wow. Happy Easter. Oh, gosh, I just said joyful a minute ago. I was trying to, happy Easter. All right. That wasn't a rhetorical question. Yeah, okay, good. Yes. And I'm happy to call each of you this morning my brothers and sisters. If this is your first time with us today here, we are already related. We are brothers and sisters in this great family. If this is your first time joining us, I hope it's not the last. It's our honor and privilege to be next to you in this journey called life. Now I'm going to tell you that today, I'm going to tell you an amazing story. I'm going to tell you something that is true and is powerful. And if at any point in time it's boring or uninteresting, that's because of me, not because of him. It's because my flesh is making it that way. I promise you, his power is greater than me. I am only a servant of his. I know him well, and I can point people to him, but I am not him. For today, I'm going to tell his story. Now, I hope you know, I hope each of you know, that we, all of us here that call on the name of Jesus, are a people who have the privilege, and it is indeed a privilege, of saying a very special phrase that you hear around this time of the year. You may have already heard it already. He has risen. Right on cue, look at this. He has risen indeed. There is absolutely no other faith in the history of the world that can actually say those phrases together. It is a truth, these phrases, it is a truth that belongs only to Jesus Christ and his followers. Only we get to say it. But in order for us to get to this point, in order for us to, to be able to walk in on Easter Sunday morning, and endure, oh man, and listen, have a wonderful breakfast, a good Easter sunrise service, and able for us to be, gather and have these moments in our history, something big had to happen. Something big had to happen. I would have to say that it had to be an event that was worth telling and retelling again. And again and again. In fact, this particular event that I'm referring to has been passed down on an estimated right now today, 81 generations from when it happened. It is perhaps the most told story in history. It is the central story of the number one bestseller book of all time. There are podcasts, there are music, movies, and even art dedicated to just this one story. There were those in the story, those who were a part of the story, when we read it, who tried to keep him a secret, who tried to silence him, who tried to remove him from history altogether. However, history will show us that he is arguably the most famous person who has ever lived, ever. Ever. 
So what makes this story worth retelling? What makes this story still today in 2022 worth talking about? What makes it that? Well, I think anyway, it's because of one simple verse. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. There have never been a more powerful three words spoken since. He has risen. Now before one can rise, before we can celebrate and say he has risen, one must be put down. In order for any type of rising, listen, I'm getting old in my age. I can see the gray coming in. I was looking in the mirror. And I was looking here, and I could see all this gray stuff. And my wife, she pointed it out to me. And my kids, they also pointed it out to me. But now when I stand up, this is what happens when I get from the seats up. I go, oh, 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 man. It's like I groan coming up out of the seat. I didn't used to do that. I used to be able to just pop up and just run around. But now I need a minute. Hold on. Let me get my bearing. Okay, all right, let's go, let's go. So in order for us to rise up, we have to be down. And so last Sunday, we all gathered in this place, in this, this, this chapel here, and we celebrated. We celebrated Jesus' entrance into the holy city. Oh, you remember his arrival. Oh, yes, we remember this. His arrival, that was, he was treated like a king that was coming in from battle. They had palm branches waving everywhere. And they were shouting and screaming, Hosanna, blessed is he. And with only five days now from the time he entered into Jerusalem, left before his death, we now catch up with him spending every moment he can in Jerusalem teaching the words of his father. He's teaching every day, every single day. He's showing his love and his power. He's bringing God's word, his father's word. to him. He only has so many days left and he wants them to be used well. And here he is in the temple every day doing this. And he stands outside of the mighty temple, the great and powerful temple. He's standing out there and he's sharing the words of his father. This, this temple that has been built there on top of Mount Moriah. And the whole time he's there, he's trying to get their eyes off of the temple building and down to the temple he was there to save. He says to them, all of them right there outside, Destroy this temple, he says. And in three days, I will raise it up. And the crowd fought back this one. Oh, they weren't going to have that. The crowd said that it took us 46 years to build this temple. It took us 46 years to, put, to build this brick and mortar all the way to the top. What well, makes you think that you can rebuild it in three days? Friends, hear me. God doesn't save buildings. He saves souls. He's not interested in our buildings. He's not interested in the, in the architecture of our ability. He's not interested in any of this. He's interested in you. He saves souls. But I have to tell you this. Just like now and even then, not everyone agreed. So... We catch our story and we see that it was only a short time after that before Jesus found himself on the cross. 
He was hanging for crimes that he did not commit. Save yourself is what they were shouting at him right from the ground as he was on the cross. Save yourself if you really are who you say you are. If you really are the all-powerful Son of God, then save yourself. But Jesus didn't go to the cross out of pride. He went there in humility. He knew. Jesus knew that for those who mock him on that day and for days to come, that in order for them to be saved, those who don't believe, those who don't know the name of Jesus, those who mock the name of Jesus, he knew that in order for those to be, to be saved and to be redeemed and to be clean, that he'd have to stay on the cross and not come down. Instead, what we read and what we see is that while they were still mocking him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And then one of the thieves on the other crosses that were hanging next to him, he tries pleading with the crowd. He, he, he tries to his best, his absolute best, to say, listen, he has done nothing wrong. I'm up here because of my actions. I broke the law. But this man has done nothing wrong. Will you remember me, Jesus? Will you remember me? You and I, my friend, we will be in paradise together today. And then persevering through the pain and suffering of the cross that we read time and time again. We know this story. You know the cross. He finalizes, Jesus finalizes his punishment with only three words. It is finished. And though that these three words are very powerful, and they are, they're prophecy and quoted through all the Bible, and they are powerful, but I think, and this is my opinion, Paul's opinion, not the apostle, but the Ryerson, Paul, my opinion, is that I think that these three words would have been lost with time if they were just left on their own. Something big had to happen. And so Jesus was taken down off the cross. And he was placed in a tomb. And due to the timing of the day, just by the luck of the draw, if you will, the women who were planning to tend to him and prepare him for, for burial had to put it off for just a few days because the Sabbath was coming. So they rushed him into a tomb and they said, well, we'll come back after the Sabbath and we'll finish the burial, the proper burial of Jesus. And so a day went by, a day of mourning, despair, and what I read, hopelessness and sadness giving up. And then, and then, three days later, after the Sabbath, you see several of the women went to the tomb early in that morning. They woke up first thing. They, they, they wanted to go and prepare the body right, at the, right as soon as they could. They've had it off long enough now. And when they arrived, they, they, they saw the oddest thing when they got there. 
It was the weird, oddest thing. It wasn't something they were prepared for. You see, the women were expecting to see Roman guards that were planted there. See, Rome was so worried and upset that that someone would come and steal the body of Jesus. So they stuck their guards in the front that they were going to let anyone close to them. In fact, the women were planning to ask the guards to help them roll away the tomb door. It was heavy. They were going to ask, can you help us so we can finish the burial process? However, when they arrived, when they got there that morning, the tomb door had already been rolled away, making the tomb now completely open and exposed. And there were no signs of Roman guards anywhere. So they slowly approached the tomb. And as they stuck their heads in, oh no, they've taken my Savior. His body is not here. Where? Where could they have taken? Maybe the Roman guards took them. Maybe, maybe they, they were just so frustrated they, they decided to move them without us knowing. And as the women were inside the tomb, and as they were talking and discussing about, okay, well, we've got all this stuff. We get, we're here to we need to prepare him, but where could he be? And so they started to doubt, and they started to try to figure out that. But as soon as they were talking, the scripture says that somebody else came in the tomb. Somebody else was there. And so it took their attention as they looked. It was a, it was a man. It was a figure of a man. But the thing is, is that, that his clothes, the scripture says, was so bright. It was like lightning came onto the earth. It was so bright that their eyes couldn't take it. And so the women knew immediately that this was an angel of the Most High. This is not man. And so they fell to their knees and they put their face to the ground. And as they were trembling in fear, not knowing what, what, what was happening, what was next, the angel said, do not be afraid. Are you looking for Jesus of Nazarene? Yes. Do you know where they have taken them? Uh, we're here to prepare them for burial, but, but we can't find them. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Just like he said he would. And then right then, as I read it in Scripture, as the women were still talking to this angel, they hear a voice come from behind them. Mary. Oh, Rabbi. For it was Jesus himself. He is risen. He's not dead. He's not in a tomb. He wasn't there. And now standing in the flesh, he's with these beautiful women who were coming to prepare him. But what he had been doing is preparing the world. Here, my friends, from that moment, from that moment in the tomb, in the grave, in the garden, wherever, from that moment, believers have been greeting each other throughout the generations with a simple phrase, to never forget what happened that day. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Now, you may be thinking that this is a great story for those that were there. For those 
that I got to see and experience this powerful moment. But what about us? What about now? I know the story forwards and backwards. I've been in, the, I've been in all of the Easter plays. Even when the music doesn't come on cue, I've been on that one too. I know this story. I know what this is like. But you see, I want to tell you now that this here, what we're going through, what we're experiencing, and what we're reading today is more than just this story. It's more than what is written just in John and Matthew and Mark and Luke. It's more than that. See, this right here, this is a story of God remembering. He is remembering Abraham, and he's remembering you. God has never forgotten the covenant with Abraham that was made those years ago. The covenant that started on top of Mount Moriah. A covenant so strong, so bounding, that the land in which it was made became holy. Set aside for something that was yet to come. Mount Moriah will become the site where David will build a city. And it will become the capital of God's people. It will be where David would dance and sing the Ark of the Covenant right into its place. It will be where Solomon will build a great and mighty temple. And it will be the site where salvation will be offered to the world. Why? Why this spot? Why this land? What's the big deal? Why is this important? Because this is where God provided. It is where he provided a ram for Isaac. It's where he provided for Israel for generations. It is where he provided salvation for the entire world. Except that on this particular day, the day that we're talking about, there was no animal sacrifice in this place. How could there be one? There has been over and over again countless lambs that were slaughtered and brought as sacrifice. But on this day, no other sacrifice would do. For this lamb, oh, this lamb was so pure. He was, he was clean. He was without any blemish. A lamb that can only come from heaven itself and only be given the name Jesus, the Lamb of God. Let me tell you what happened. Is that God, God did the very thing he stopped Abraham from doing. Abraham, don't touch that child. God will never ask his people to do something he's not willing to do himself. And when the time was right, God took his son. And there wasn't a ram waiting in the brush. There was no voice from heaven. There was no stopping the nails. On that day, the covenant was complete. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. But I'm here to tell you that this covenant 
is not a covenant of death. You know, during Easter, we talk a lot about death. Jesus dying on the cross and all these sorts of things. It almost got at times, if we're, if we're not careful, it can almost seem like we're focusing a little too much on the death of Christ. But let me tell you why we bring it up. It's because of what happens next. The covenant that was made between God and Abraham and between man and God was not a covenant of death, but of life. Of life. Not a covenant of it is finished, but a covenant of he has risen. He has risen is the climax of a plan that was put into place since the garden. When sin and man became intertwined, where we could not separate it. We couldn't get them apart. And from that moment, this plan has been in place. Well, Captain, I understand Jesus and the cross. I get the story. I understand the story. But how can you claim? How can you say that God is a loving God? All loving. I've watched loved ones die from disease. Our youth have been sent to war. Corruption is scattered throughout all of the land. This is not the hand of a good God, of a loving God. Friends, on this Easter Sunday, let me share with you that things such as disease, war, corruption, and famine is because of sin, not because of God. You see, sin is the absence of God. God does not bring you hurt or pain. Sin does. But I'm not a simple person, Captain. I have strong faith, and I believe with all my heart. I've asked for forgiveness. I, 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 but I still am experiencing these things. This may be true. You may be living in the grace and forgiveness only offered by Jesus. But the world you're living in is not. This world is not. Just like the Jews who, who only wanted Jesus to save them from the Romans. We sometimes only want Jesus to save us from the things that's causing us pain bringing us hurt. His death wasn't so that we could live comfortably in this world, but he was to give us citizenship for his. This is why he died. The truth, and it's a truth I have myself come to, is that some of us, even in this room, may be innocent bystanders, if you will, to the effects of the fallen world. But our hope was never in this world. Our hope is in Christ alone. I cannot promise you that you will not be sick. I cannot promise you you won't go hungry. I can't promise you your life will be easy. I can promise you you're not alone. That there is a place prepared for you. There is a place where none of these things exist. None of these things are on our tongue. 
The same power that was displayed in the tomb that day is the same power that he has for you right now. Have you been questioning your faith? Let him restore it. Don't have any faith. I don't believe in him. Well, then let him show you his power. Are you filled with shame this morning? Shame of of who you are, what you've done. Then experience his love and his grace. Are you mourning and in pain? Let him comfort you. Are you sick? Then let him hold you. And are you sitting in your seat feeling right now defeated? Then come. Come and see the power that he has for you. I don't possess this power. He does. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.